Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning again. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Um, Who's on your morning prayer list? I have an evening prayer list and I have a morning prayer list. And my morning prayer list is um, sometimes populated by the names of people um, or the places or the circumstances that I see in the headlines um, around the globe, around the country and in my own community. So if there's, you know, if there's some kind of local alert from law enforcement or in my state, you know, some kind of alert goes out, one of those silver alerts or an amber alert, on and on and on. I I pray for those people. Those those tend my my morning prayer list tends to be kind of an alert list. My evening prayer list tends to be a much more personal um a personal list. People who've asked me to pray for whom I'm praying or circumstances that I know of um you know in my church community or here in my local community the the close to heart things that's my evening prayer list so who's on your morning prayer list Aiden McCarthy is now on my morning prayer list and his grandparents are on my morning prayer list and my morning prayer list is also not just a morning when the sun rises prayer list it's a morning prayer list m o you are in ing morning morning by morning um and his mercies are new every morning prayer list who is aiden mccarthy he is the two-year-old son of uh arena and kevin mccarthy who were among the seven people killed in highland park illinois um, on monday Little two-year-old Aiden was found wandering alone um, amid the chaos following the shooting at the Independence Day Parade in Highland Park, Illinois. Prosecutors have now charged the suspected gunman in the shooting um, with seven counts of first-degree murder. Those uh, those charges will be added to and very likely amplified, but those charges alone in the state of Illinois would result, um, if convicted, of this individual spending the rest of his life. Um, in prison with no possibility of parole. Um, All of that is tragic. All of it. Seven families um, are now planning funerals. Dozens more um, are dealing with uh, injuries sustained during um, the discharge of of, uh, 70 rounds from a high-powered rifle, um, and many, many others dealing with the trauma of having been present and witnessed and fled from uh, a live shooter event. And Highland Park, Illinois, was not the only city in the in the nation um, where shootings took place on the 4th of July. Gun violence um, was actually pretty rampant this weekend. 
And so Orlando, Kansas City, Philadelphia, Chicago, Richmond, Virginia, just a few of the cities impacted by um, really significant gun violence this weekend in very public places. So we we have a problem. And I know that as soon as we say that, there are um, there are those who feel helpless. There are those who feel desperate and there are those who feel angry that I'm even bringing it up. But this culture of violence, this culture of death and this dealing with our angst through violence toward others um, is a problem. And yes, we need a spiritual awakening. We need a revival. We need a restoration of peace. We need a resilience in the face of negative emotions and events. We need to learn what to do with our anger, with our anger. What makes you angry? And then how do you deal with it? I'm going to ask Bill English that next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. is back from bibleandbusiness.com. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you, Carmen? I'm I'm well. What what have you been up to? Where have you been? Who have you talked to? What have you seen since we <clears> talked last? Well, you know, it's been almost 2 months since I've been on I the know. air with you. I know. So I feel like you've been some places, you've seen you've seen and done some things. Yeah, uh Kathy and I uh went to Norway and I spoke for a week at the uh, Grimmerud base and which is about an hour and a half north of Oslo. I spoke at the uh, YWAM base there, <coughs> YWAM Youth with a Mission. And uh I was in the fourth I spoke the fourth week of a 6-week course that they did called the School of Transformational Business and the students in that course were missionaries. Uh, who are going to be going into closed countries and using business as a way to spread the gospel. And um, uh, one of the guys I spoke with is uh, sending teams into Afghanistan and Yemen and uh, Iraq and Iran. And there's a gal going into Indonesia by herself, which I'm concerned about. And uh, it was just, it was uh, <clears throat> it was an incredibly uh, powerful week, uh, not only for them, but for me. Hmm. Uh, Carmen, there are there are people in this world who love Jesus so much that they are willing to go someplace where they know that chances are good they're not going to come out alive, and yet they still go. And uh, that's, uh, oh, that all of us would have that kind of faith and that kind of commitment to spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, the love of the other exceeds the love of the self, and it's a, it's a self-sacrificial um, love and it's real and it's amazing that God multiplies it in, um, in the hearts of Christian believers um, to go and make disciples of all nations. Literally, go and literally make disciples in literally all nations. Um, and it does. Uh, it, it costs a lot. It's not just. Um, it's not just a financial or relational or emotional cost um, for many many people. It. It literally today cost them their lives to be sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus in places where that messaging is not welcome. So thank you for going and um, equipping those who are going in turn to 
to set up shop and establish businesses through which uh, they will have a platform um, to, you know, be woven into community in a significant way and um, and have the opportunity to build relationships and through those relationships to share Jesus. So thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it. You're welcome. So you have a uh, you have a new book, Biblical Wisdom for Business Leaders, 30 Sayings from Proverbs. You guys can find that at BibleandBusiness.com. Um, I, I wanted to talk with you about the uh, the devotion in there on Proverbs 22, 24 to 25 um, on anger and dealing with anger. So the proverb reads, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person and do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. So uh, several several things out of this. First of all, hot-tempered person, uh, we usually think of a hot-tempered person as somebody who kind of flies off the handle with these sudden outbursts of anger. But I also find that hot-tempered people can really have their anger very much under control. They can use it to manipulate. They can use it to abuse. They can use it purposefully. Um, I've seen that work in business. I've seen a manager uh, just approach his team and uh, just pump himself up into an angry mood and then yell at him for a while, and the team... He gets some short-term results out of the team, but the long-term uh, results are that he gets very distant, and uh, he he really ruins a lot of relationships. So anger isn't just about um, blowing up. It's also about a controlled, manipulative, um, methodical, purposeful use of anger uh, to achieve ends. And uh, we're not to make friends with those people, Carmen. We're not to be friends with them. You know, I think that the the challenge of anger is, um, you know, it's that slammed door. Um, that could be a slammed car door. That could be a slammed bedroom door. That could be right. I hate I right. hate the sound of a slamming door. Um, uh, it could also be, as you are describing, um, angry words that are directed by a person in power um, over over those who don't share that power, right, and sort of have to take it. Um, but we're talking about maybe better ways that we we could process and deal with anger. It comes in lots of forms, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Um, and then we're going to also talk about how to better deal with it. We're talking, um, we're talking today about not only the anger that we experience and encounter, but how to do better. We're talking with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. How do we not get caught up in anger? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Our producer, Paul Perot, thought Angry Birds would be good music to play behind the conversation that Bill English and I are having about anger. Anger comes in many forms. Um, if we're not careful, we can absorb it from all kinds of characters in our environment. And so, um, Bill, why don't we why don't we expose some of the angry birds in the culture today um, and the positions <laughs> and the positions of influence that they have in our lives? Oh, sure. First of all, comics. A lot of comics are really very angry people. They use sarcasm uh, in their humor. Sarcasm is usually a form of anger and cynicism uh, combined. 
Uh, political candidates use anger to uh, gin up their base, uh, to solidify their base. Um, cultural influences uh, can often be ang- or influencers can often be angry over real or perceived injustices. Uh, there are pastors who are actually angry people. Um, uh, they're gifted communicators in the pulpit, but they're known for being kind of you know the meanest junkyard dog behind closed doors. Uh, coaches in sports get angry and yell at their players. Uh, professors uh, who teach godless philosophies are often very angry people. There's a number of producers of movies that we go to see that are actually pretty angry people, and and they bring out anger in us uh, through their storytelling. And uh, you can even look at something like Putin, who is obviously an angry man, a leader of a nation willing to use the military to invade a country and to kill uh, perhaps millions in order to get his way. All of those are are what I would call examples of anger under control used manipulatively to achieve an end. And when we think about um, what the Bible says about anger, you know, I, I guess one of the uh, one of the things that comes to mind pretty quickly is, you know, the taming of the tongue, the need to be um, right. to bring every thought captive to Christ. Um, you know, I think that there, there's righteous anger, and I think there are a lot of people who would say that their anger is righteous, and therefore, you know, it's justified. Um, but, you know, the the anger that is demonstrated by God, like, is different than the anger that is often demonstrated, or you know, demonstrated by um, by people and our use of it. I mean, Cain lets his anger get the better of him, and he kills his brother. Um, Moses lets anger get the better of him, um, and you know, and and he kills a man, and that results in um, not the derailment of uh, you know of God's will being accomplished, but certainly um, a period of time in which Moses is off the scene. Um, and and so, and I think about Peter uh, removing his uh, you know his uh, sword from its sheath and striking uh, the ear. Um, you know, of one of the men who came to arrest Jesus and Jesus saying, you know, put it, put it back. And Jesus actually healing the man. Um, you know, if I wanted to call down the legions of angels, you know, we could resolve this right here and now, but that's not how this is supposed to play out. Do you think that sometimes, Bill, we get angry because we don't fully understand the scope of what is happening? And it's an attempt for us to regain some sense of a measure of control, uh, over something that we really cannot have control. Yeah, you know, I I think that's a good observation, Carmen. Uh, It it seems to me that anger in us is often a result of one of two things, or actually one of three things. Either we've been hurt, our goals have been blocked, or we're confused about what's going on. And Mm. so uh, any one of those three, I think, can give us anger. Um, When you compare our anger to God's anger, I want to come back to that comment. It seems to me that God is always angry at faithlessness. And sin, uh, mm. but his, you know, he, he, he does he get hurt? Yeah, in a sense he does, but in another sense, are his goals ever blocked? No, no. His plan is always played out the way he wants it. Uh, is he ever confused? No. Is he ever wonder what's going to happen? No. So his anger is usually justified because it's 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 that faithlessness and sin, whereas our anger I think comes from a different place most of the time. Now, if if somebody was faithless to me, would I be angry about it? Yeah, 
Yeah, sure, I would be angry. Uh, but is that a righteous anger? You know, I suppose I'd have to ask the Lord about that. Uh, but this this anger piece, in, in, in the season that we're in, how many mass shootings we had over the weekend, mm-hmm. in this political season where um, both sides are going to try to gin us up and solidify their base through anger and being opposed to something, as opposed to a happy being for something. Uh, I just don't think Christians should be participating in the anger part of that. I really mm-hmm. don't. We need to be countercultural and that we don't hate our brother with whom we disagree. I, I 100% agree with you. Um, and I see uh, footage of one angry person screaming inches from the nose of one other angry person screaming back. And I think to myself, neither of those people is representing um the way Jesus would approach whatever issue it is uh, that has divided these two individuals. So if one of those people thinks they're representing Jesus, they are not. Um, At best, they are misrepresenting him. And so I do think that there is, uh, there are particular individuals who have uh, the ability to stand in the face of a, uh, you know, of a raging individual and do so with the perfect peace of Christ, which passes all understanding. And then there are a lot of people who do not possess that ability. And I think that um, the people who need to be out there at the forefront of witness right now need to be those possessed of peace people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. It's, it doesn't do us any good, like you said, to get a few inches from the face of another and just yell at them. Yeah. You know, anger doesn't produce the righteous life that God desires, right? I mean, it mm-hmm. just doesn't produce what we think it's going to produce. And uh, it, getting angry uh, rarely, rarely helps us. It usually hurts us in the long run. And I don't know how many people, you know, listening now have become angry and have later have had to go back and apologize for their anger, for their words, for whatever it is that they did. Um, best not to go there in the first place. And so that's why Proverbs says, don't hang around with these kind of people. Yeah. If you're, if you're following a political candidate that's based in anger, get away from them. I don't care what their politics are. You're, you're going to become angry. If you hang around angry people, you're going to become angry. And then you're going to get yourself ensnared. And, and over time, the only tool you will have to manage people or to influence people or to talk with people is anger. And and you will end up being a very isolated, lonely person who doesn't represent the Lord well. Yeah, and then you become resentful of anybody who suggests to you that your anger is not right uh, is not righteous. Yeah, I know. When we all know those folks, so yeah, yeah this do. is um this is uh, this is a good mirror to hold up uh, today. Thank you so much. That's Bill English. You can find him at bibleandbusiness.com. Uh, don't miss his brand new book, um, of which this is a part. So, Bill, thank you so much. And a little angry birds to walk out on. You're listening to Mornings <laughs> with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio.
Well, good morning again. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Uh, This is like a news item, particularly for parents and grandparents, because most of us who are, let's say, of an age are not on Snapchat. And so I don't want you to tune out because you're not on Snapchat, because I want you to know about a new feature on Snapchat called Snap Map. So Snap Map is a Snapchat feature that was uh, updated this week. And in that update... I mean, pay attention here. In that update, users can now access someone's precise location, um, including the physical address, the street address, the house number. And if you tap on it again, it not only gives you the physical address, it also tells you how long it would take you to drive from where you are to that other person's snap map location. So if you're listening right now and you are a parent or a grandparent, uh, you have any influence over teenagers and young adults, please, please, please share with them that Snapchat and SnapMap now makes their physical location, um, the address of their physical location, available in real time. So if if you're concerned about granting strangers access to the location of your kids, then here's what you got to do. You got you ha- you need to select ghost mode in the app. Snapchat should be set to ghost mode. You can also turn off the quote precise location option in your phone settings. Um and um and the other thing that you need to just recognize is it's not just giving away the physical address in real time. The physical address where any live video was recorded is then forever attached to that video. So when they go back and watch a video that was posted by someone anywhere around the world, um, they can then locate the physical address of that person. Now, you can imagine what risk that puts Christians who, let's say, are living in places where um, it's you're not free to be a Christian. So I'm not just talking here about the the human trafficking sexual predator danger um, of this. I'm also talking globally about the risk this puts people of faith um, in places where you're not free to uh, for, free to believe, where there's no religious liberty or freedom. So on Snapchat, if you're on it, you need to set it to ghost mode. You need to set your phone setting, uh, turn off the precise location of your phone setting. Um, yeah, there you go. This is my social media warning for today. We're going to talk about social media and we're going to talk about the social internet with Sarah Zalstra. The new book is Social Sanity in an Insta World. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We frequently talk with uh, Sarah Zalstra about what she's covering and posting at the Gospel Coalition. Today, she joins us um, with a brand new book, Social Sanity in an Insta World. Um, she has several contributors, um, but Sarah is the editor. We're thrilled to have her back today. Sarah, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for having me back. It's good to be here. Yeah. So um, out of what does this book grow? Like, right, everything grows out of something. What does this book grow out of? This is, uh, this grew out of a couple things. I think the women that I was talking to are increasingly aware of their own struggles with social media 
And then I was talking last last year with Laura Wiffler, who does the Risen Motherhood podcast, and she was hearing from a lot of hearing from and seeing in a lot of the women that she ministers to. So she ministers online. So she sees women who are online. Um, a lot of the struggles as well with influence, um, with time wasting. Um, what she was especially concerned about is um, the way it shapes their faith, because the women that you follow online are discipling you um, in ways you probably don't even realize. It's uh, we are discipled. Um, we are catechized by what we spend our time soaking in. And a lot of people are spending an awful lot of time soaking in or scrolling would be the word Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook. Um, how do we tend to feel and how does our time in social media in those environments affect us? Oh, good question. I think we should pay more attention to how we're feeling. If I think about it, um, so I just got off social media altogether probably three months ago. But before that, when I would go to social media, I would be feeling like a lot of anticipation and like, ooh, this is going to be really fun. Either either something in my actual life is boring to me or so I want to escape a little bit or it's hard and I want to escape a little bit. Um, and so it's going to be fun to just pop online and see what everybody else is doing. And maybe you do get a little bit of dopamine hit when you first get on because someone liked the photo that you posted or they posted something fun that you can comment on. But increasingly, um, when I got off of social media after uh, I'd feel impatient, um, I would feel uh, either anxious or angry at other people's posts that I saw online. I would feel overwhelmed. And this is what the news feed does to us. Right, because you're scrolling through and you're seeing a really happy picture of your friends on vacation, followed by news of a hurricane, followed by an advertisement, followed by somebody else's angry political uh, thing that they're saying, followed by somebody telling you to, um, you know, buy their product that they're selling. Um, and so it just is—it's our brains aren't built to to switch that fast, and so it becomes overwhelming, and that produces anxiety in us even for the most innocent of scrolls. And that's, you know, if you're not even looking for the content that purposefully is making you um, feel more irritated. So part of what um, you do in social sanity and an Insta world um, is you talk with uh, several other women um, and they contribute, uh, they each contribute a chapter to this um, and then some interaction uh, in in the way that they reflect um, on this. Can you, can you just talk about like who you included and why? Yes. So we, this is a multi-author book. We did that for a couple reasons. One is that you can go a lot faster when everybody takes a chapter. And we knew that this had to be a fast book because social media does not wait for anyone. And it already is, um, uh, evolving. It's evolved tremendously, Carmen, since we first got on. Um, if you think about those early days when you literally would just go to someone's page before a news feed, even you just go to someone's page and then you'd think of another friend and go to their page and think of another friend and then go to their page. And then you might run out of friends to think about, and then you would get off. Um, but now it has evolved in tremendous ways to, um, they keep, they make their money, which is a huge billions of dollars by keeping your eyes on there. So there's been a lot of ways that it's evolved. So anyway, we knew we had to write fast. And we also picked people um, that we could that could write to their strong suits. So Jen Wilkin writes about identity, sort of the theological sense of identity and how this is so interesting, how social media lets you create your own identity, right? Because really, even though we primarily go for connection, 
social media is built so that it revolves around us. We build our page. We describe our identity. We've put up our pictures. Um, it's really a self-focus and you can kind of create who you are. And if you're a little bit younger, you're probably even creating a brand of some sort of like, I am a, you know, a healthy girl who goes on walks and um, hikes, beautiful hikes in the woods. And I do rollerblading, or I am primarily a, um, girl who's really interested in travel and art and, you know, hard books, or I'm a really smart girl who goes to graduate school and math camp, or I'm a really Christian girl who always posts Bible verses and, um, you know, serves in a food pantry. And then as you build your brand, you can only put up things really that fit inside your brand, which is, if you think about it, so much more limiting than the identity God has created for you, which is much more complex and, and wide ranging. Um, okay. So also Jenny, why, okay. so Sarah, also yeah. why I don't have very many followers because I am not like that. I'm like the mm-hmm. most mm-hmm. random, whatever <laughs> I, in the moment think, you know, I, I right. Yeah. So I'm like random girl on yes. on social media which is not which is actually not a social media strategy at all it's like you a right. contra social media strategy um and so uh, i mean i you know i've been instructed and told you ought to focus on one social media platform you ought to build a brand in this one place you ought to only ever post in this place about these things and on this schedule like there is a strategy to this and anybody who thinks that folks who have a lot of followers on social media, that that is happening by accident, you're wrong. Like it is totally happening by a formula and a recipe. Absolutely. You are hundred percent right. And it is, um, they are doing it on purpose, often financially, right? There's often a, a financial purpose behind it to, especially to a lot of young girls, becoming an influencer looks like such an easy thing to do because all you have to do is post things once in a while. And then brands will eventually pay you to like, Hey, say your shirt came from target or something. Um, (laughs) and yet what a dangerous thing, um, not only for the influencer, um, because she's also then being shaped not by who she is, but what she, like what you're saying, what she thinks her audience wants to hear at a certain amount of time. And then also for that audience who is really not being fed the truth, but just sort of a cultivated um, version of whoever this person is. And especially when we're getting our spiritual um, direction from these people or following people, it's like, hey, she has Jesus in her bio. Um, That's a really (laughs) dangerous place for us to start walking behind (laughs) those people. Oh, Sarah, it's so helpful. Sarah Zylstra is with us today. She is the editor of a multi-author book. The book is Social Sanity in an Insta World. Yes, we have copies to give away. If you would like to enter the drawing for the copies of Social Sanity in an Insta World, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk about um, some fruitful practices for social media. Uh, every single chapter of this book has really great reflection and discussion questions. But we're going to scroll to the very end of the book, and we're going to talk about writing a social media statement, like why you're on there at all, what it looks like to invite accountability, on and on and on. So are you on social media? Why are you on there? How do you use it? How is it affecting your heart? Um, and what are some spiritual some spiritual guardrails that you could put around that. We're going to talk with Sarah Zylstra about that next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio.
Continuing our conversation with Sarah Zalstra from the Gospel Coalition. You can find her at thegospelcoalition.org. We love to talk with Sarah from time to time about things she is writing for the Gospel Coalition. Today, we're talking with her about a book she has edited. Um, It is called Social Sanity in an Insta World. Lots of contributing authors um, to this book, many of whom you would you would find familiar and absolutely love. We're giving away copies today. If you want to enter the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Sarah, let's jump to uh, to the end of the book, to the afterword, and talk about some of the fruitful practices for social media. Yeah, that would be great. I think the main word that that I keep coming back to on this is intentional. I think a lot of our social media use is unintentional in which we just hop on when we're bored or we want to kill a couple of minutes. Um, But social media is really, honestly, you guys, too powerful for us to do that. And so I think we need to come at it with a purpose. And so Ruth Cho Simons, who wrote wrote our afterward, is talking about... um, Crafting a social media statement, and I know it sounds like a lot, but I don't think it's too, I don't think that's too heavy for the amount of influence. If you're on this thing a couple hours a day, which um, the average American is on social media for more than two hours a day, it's probably worth thinking, taking some time to think through, why am I on here? What is my purpose? And I bet I can tell you what your original purpose is because we did a survey and more than 80% of women, uh, TGC women said the reason they get on is to connect with friends and family, which is Mm. true. We do connect with friends and family on there. But I want to challenge you to think about this. Less than 2% of those same women said that this is the primary way they connect with their friends and family, which is true. If you think about it, if I want to say something to my mom or to my sister, I do not post it on Instagram and then hope that my mom or sister happens to see it. I would call them or text them like the people who are really the friends you want to talk with about something. You have a different avenue to communicate with them. You talk to them in real life. You go for a walk with them. You have them over to your house. You text them directly. So our return on investment for what many of us say we're getting on here to connect with friends and family, really we're like putting something out there for maybe you know, those outer, if you're thinking about friendship in terms of concentric rings, maybe those outer rings of acquaintances or old friends, um, which is not a bad thing to do. I do think it's there. Those are people worth connecting with, but probably not worth spending more than two hours a day connecting with or catching up on their lives. And so I think we need to, in terms of thinking about even our time management, um, Write yourself a statement. Why am I on social media? Is it to connect with friends and family? Am I getting out of this? Is the amount of time I'm spending on this producing for me uh, good enough relationships? Um, Or do I come off of here feeling like I've just wasted a whole bunch of time and feeling anxious about things? And then the other thing I'd really recommend is taking a social media break while you think that through. Um, I think a lot of us have idols connected with social media, either, either of our own self, or there's just a lot of, um, emotions that your heart might go through. If I say to you, what would it look like for you to take a social media break? And if your heart rebels against that, that's probably worth digging into a little bit and bringing before the Lord. And if my heart says relief, then maybe I should just get off of social media altogether, which of course strikes a note of fear in, um, Yeah, uh, in those who think that that that's um, a good way to stay connected and 
and maybe a primary way that they feel um, connected to me. So talk with us about inviting accountability, because I um, I will confess that there have been times that I have seen people post things on social media and I have thought to myself, I wish I knew how to help them choose to take that down um, yeah. and, and choose to not post that way in the future. So talk with us about inviting accountability. So I think one thing that you can do is if you get a book like Social Sanity is have, and you're close enough to that person, perhaps they're in your church or your friend group, is be able to kind of walk through a study like this with them. Like, let's all come together at my house every Thursday and we're going to think about social media together. And we're all going to, me and you both are all going to think about our habits and what we can do better. And um, because as you know, it's probably not going to go over well if you just explain to someone else why their social media is not working. Um, But if you did it together, I think, and you could all look at your own hearts, that would probably be a way forward. Um, I also do want to address the, the, the relief emotion that you're talking about and that fear. That's what I felt. Um, I got off social media altogether about three months ago and I also felt fear and like, how would I ever know what was happening with people? And I would be totally lost without it. Um, something would happen and I would miss it or I wouldn't connect with people I want to connect with. Um, but I have to tell you that being off after these three months has, I still feel relief Um, And I think the benefits that come from it, being able to think more clearly, I can think more complex thoughts. I feel like I have gotten back hours and hours of my time, um, far more than I was actually spending on social media. Because, you know, you do spend time thinking about social media when you're not on there. So it takes up more time than you realize. And also those connections I thought I was losing, I thought I would be losing. I haven't felt that nearly as much as I anticipated. So I think sometimes our fear of leaving is bigger than it needs to be. And sometimes social media breaks can help us see that too. Yeah, I'm thinking that um, there's there's more real time to think, reflect, create, and actually like meet up with real people in real life, you know, yes. and have real relationships. So that's really good. Um, I think in the inviting accountability thing, one thing I would toss into the mix here in terms of walking through it together. Um, this was something that I did with a group of women. This this goes back a number of years now. Um, but in order to have something that was a little bit fun and playful and tangible, I would always put a bowl of fruit um, in the middle of the table. And just at the beginning, just ask everybody just to grab a piece of fruit out of the bowl. And what we did was we talked about just just having a fruit inspection. And we didn't have social media at the time, but I think I could do this now um, where we would just say, let's just test. Let's just test what we're posting um, against the fruit of love, mm. of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of goodness, of gentleness, of faithfulness, of self-control. Like, let's just test against those and you know are we producing good fruit in ever more abundant measure and if not then right we're on the wrong that's side like, of that galatians 5 list that's excellent i think that's excellent um and i think social media does not tend to lead us toward that and we know this in the algorithms right because social mm. media favors engagement that is 
you know, that's the, the post that gets shared and reshared. The more engagement that is, that there is, the more it's sharing it. So there's a, there's a, you know, cycle that happens in there. So if you put up something that's a little, that's angry or anxious and people interact with that, because when they read it, they feel angry and anxious. And so they sort of knee jerk react to that. That just picks up more and more momentum. And that's what Facebook is going to feed to more and more people. So it's not like Facebook is feeding us the fruit of the spirit, um, Facebook and Instagram are feeding us kind of the opposite of the fruit of the spirit. And so not only, I think that is an excellent idea. And I love that. I think you could be salt and light on social media and doing that, but also walk, go there recognizing, um, that the salt and light is not what's going to be spread around. So you have to also guard your heart at the same time, um, knowing that you're not going to read other people's salt and light. Yeah, exactly. Sarah, um, thank you so much. Again, Sarah Zylstra, you can find her at thegospelcoalition.org, the book we're discussing, Social Sanity in an Insta World. We've got copies to give away. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Hey, let's be uh, praying today for the people and the circumstances, the places that we read about in the headlines. This is, uh, it's just, I just call it hashtag pray the news. Um, And when you're thinking about social media engagement and you're thinking about what you're reading on social media and what you're posting on social media, um, you, you know me, so you know, you know, I think there should be hashtag where in the word are you today? And we ought to be posting those places in scripture where we're spending our time. Um, But maybe another one would be hashtag pray the news, and that would give us cause for posting um, those links and stories, you know, that raise concern in our hearts, Um, people and circumstances about which we are praying. Why? Why? Because prayer is what I can do. There are lots of things happening in the lives of a lot of people where I want to do something, but I don't feel like there's anything that I can do. Well, there is always something I can do. I can always pray. And prayer is not nothing. Do not let culture convince you that prayer is nothing. Prayer is something and prayer is powerful, not because prayer does anything, but because the God to whom I pray in the name of Jesus Christ has the whole world in his hands. He sees you right now. He's concerned about the circumstances of your life. And I'm praying for you. Holy God, let everyone within the sound of my voice right now know that you are and experience you as good in this day. Supply for our needs and care for us tenderly as we turn to care for others in Jesus' name. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.